Well, I went there. let's see, I was on a bike yesterday too a little bit, you know. Of course, you know, probably half this came from us because we had a great day. <laughs> very nice, yeah. It was very nice. And, of course, light switches like this will give me color. <laughs> my, skin is, my skin is pretty much translucent. You got some you got color, though. <laughs> Like my, like my guy. Yeah, I got this. Wyoming sheriffs gave me that. That's cool. I love it. <laughs> What's going on? Hey, How you doing? Nice yeah. to see you. Thanks for coming in. Of course. Good to see you again. Who me? I'm trying for diversity, but not that hard. <laughs> 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 why? Why? Good thing it's not live. And they won't let me do shit live. <laughs> so this is I branded this term a long time ago, guardian mindset. Nice. What is that? Is that a PowerPoint, so to speak, playing in the back or a video? Them. You're asking me. Oh, nice. <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's fine. I had to play around with the white balance a little bit on it. I think it's better now, but yeah, it will be down. All right, good. Oh, good. This is the wallet. You let us know when you're ready, Jake. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next edition of the Guardian Mindset Podcast. And as you all know, I start out my podcast with a quote. And this one is uh, is always got to be for the specific person that I'm dealing with. And today I get the pleasure to have with me Lieutenant Kevin Dillon, retired. And so my quote is a Bruce Lee quote, right? Uh, You're going to like that, Kevin. Knowing is not enough. We must apply. Willing is not enough. We must do. Right? And I really looked hard and long for that because I think it really sums up what you do in my perspective from what I see and what we're going to talk about today. And so first, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to have you, Kevin. Thrilled to be here. And Kevin and I have gone back for a, a long time. We've taught classes together. He's a speaker at our Use of Force Summit, and um, we've done actually did an IACP together, a training. And so... Um, it, it's always... You got uh, way too much energy for a podcast, though, Kevin. <laughs> It is tough to be sitting here, but I can do it. You know you can't get up and like do (laughs) karate moves. The best part for me is that he's on the other side of the table because when you're close enough to Kevin, uh, he just, he showed up and he was going to hug me and I was like, don't hurt me. Just just don't hurt me. Let me give you, this is the worst part, but I got to give the bio so everybody knows who you are, Kevin, and that is, so you're a 26-year veteran police officer and founder of an internationally recognized lockup police combat system. Uh, lifelong martial artist, uh, multiple black belts, international combatives trainer, FBI National Academy graduate, and where you and I interact a lot is use of force analysis, analysis, and you are a force science institute use of force analysis uh, technician. Um, you you got books, you got videos, you got I think you even might even have a bobblehead somewhere out there. Um, but uh, but Kevin is 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 one of the few in the industry which I really enjoy interacting with because 
um, what he teaches is very important in the self-defense tactics application, but also how he teaches it is very effective. Um, you know, he he has voices. Just want to let you all know, it's not we didn't we didn't have George Bush with us or or any of the voices that will come out of Kevin. Um, he is very entertaining. Uh, and I think, as all you know, that's the best part of instruction is if an instructor is entertaining, it's not really painful in that process. Um, so let me start with just start warming you up because this is your first podcast. No. No? No. You're cheating on me. Right? I mean, yes. All yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so why don't you start by just giving the listeners a little bit of overview about your career? You know, you've been... 26 years and you've been out of the game for a while too and you've had a phenomenal career but remember the key to this podcast is that we're hoping that the people watching the podcast or listening to it are just are neither new to law enforcement and looking for a way forward you know looking for experience that i bring to the table here to give them some pointers about how to have a successful career, especially in the midst of all we're seeing across the country. Right. You know, and, and, and one of the things that I, I strongly like to do with each of my presenters is that it's really hard to explain to officers who are in the fight now and have only been there for a couple of years, you know, that have that, oh, 25 years, that's a long time. Oh. And why should I dedicate so much and, and sacrifice so much for this job? And the one thing that I stress is that I think the job is fabulous. I think the job gives back if you let it. Um, but I like to use the experience of my guests to, to try to give different perspectives uh, about the job and, and what you took away from the job. So why don't we just start with just a kind of an overview of your law enforcement career? Well, it's all I basically ever knew. I mean, I uh, started my martial art training in, uh, as a young teenager in high school. And one of my first mentors was a guy named Carl Thomas, who was okay. a Green Beret Vietnam vet, hardcore guy. He, tr he trained me completely different than all the martial art training, but he was also a police officer. Okay. So that's when I started to ride with him on a regular basis. I knew in high school what I wanted to do. I just wanted to get in law enforcement. So did I. And, yeah. uh, Military was fairly inactive at the time, so I'm like, no, nah, I just want to wear blue. So I graduated in 19, never mind. But besides that, within, <laughs> within a year, I was on the job. Now, a year. You could be a cop in this state at 18 years old, but you couldn't buy bullets till you're 21. Right. So my mom actually had to buy bullets for me. We'd go to the store, and she'd go, what do you want, baby? You want those plus P house points over there? <laughs> but that's, it is a true story. She'd buy my bullets for me. And uh, so I got on the job very, very young. And I served nine years in patrol. Then I did five years in detective division. Then five years in sergeant. Five years as lieutenant. Um, but almost like you said before, I don't think I ever worked a day in my life. I mean, I, I really don't understand. I can understand it now. I mean, I never experienced that 10, 10 years, three months and four days mentality. Yeah. And the I'm guys like, tell you exactly how much they have left to go. Oh, man. How I, could you, that's like doing time. It is. <laughs> and I feel bad for these guys and gals because they, you know, we never experienced what they are experiencing now. No. So I, I had a very big SWAT operations did that for 12 years and, and in 2000, um, I wrote a program for the state of Connecticut. That's what's called lockup. And uh, it's really designed, nobody else has on interactions or altercations like law enforcement. You know, okay, Bolt, KD, you want to learn how to fight, you're fighting a cage. I'm like, Bolt, that's not going to happen. First of all, if you fight a cage in your martial art world, you're fighting somebody your exact same weight. You're fighting somebody the exact same cloth. You're fighting somebody pretty much the same skill. 
You're fighting somebody pretty much the same age. Right. You're fighting somebody in a nice mat. It's got nothing to do with the true dynamics of a law enforcement altercation. Right. They might have to fight somebody twice their size, half their age, liquored up, um, alterated uh, mentally and cognitively, no pain receptors. Yep. And this officer still has to arrest and control, take that person in. And the biggest problem is that we still train like we're in midget football leagues when we're expected to perform at a higher level than in NFL. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, what really and uh, really changed my mind. In, in 06, around there, I was at the FBI Academy in Quantico. Yeah. And we were watching a, a forensic science class, and I was kind of bored, but this one here has permanently embedded into my brain. This class here was almost how they, they stopped a video. Uh, it was a car camera, a police car camera. And uh, what it was that the cruiser blurred out the suspect's license plate so you couldn't see it. So they, they had the windshield wipers, so they froze the windshield wipers. They froze the frame to get the reflection off the license plate. I could less. My stomach was in knots, and here was a story. Trooper Green, I still remember his name today, Trooper Nicholas Green, residential Oklahoma trooper. Yep. No police department. Uh, yes, paper boy. Trooper Green, somebody has broken down the street there, and I think you need to help him. No police department. Puts his uniform on, kisses baby one, baby two, baby three. Daddy never comes back. Then you see the altercation for maybe two to maybe 15 seconds. And then they fight off screen. Give me a gun. No, 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 please. I have children. Pop, pop. And then you see that walk by with one handcuff on. Right then and there, that just told me what I wanted to do. I felt like already I was almost ready to pop smoke and maybe go to another police department, try to go for a secondary pension. Because we, we know training could be a very difficult business, and I didn't know if I'd make it. Right. But that made the difference. This officer's brain was defaulting to try to put a steel bracelet on a suspect who is trying to kill him, which is a virtually physical impossible task. Yeah. So that's what made my decision to then take the show on the road. And, and so, you know, one of the things that I, where you and I are interact a lot is the fact that, you know, I'm... I do a lot of the legal training and stuff, but but you're the hands-on, and and what I love about it is you're an expert at the hands-on, and and I'm, that's why I don't let you get close to me because I, <laughs> I don't want to get hurt. Um, but so so, what year would you say that you started lock up as a regular base? I know you've expanded completely um, from there, but what year did you take the road, the show on the road? Oh, like well, I wrote the program in 2000, but in 06 is when I had my 25 years on the job. And that's when I took the show on the road. Okay. And so, uh, you know, you're now umpteen years. We won't talk about years. You've been on the road. And, yeah. and you, know, I, you know, I love when you're in a deposition, they ask you how many thousands of officers you've trained. Yeah. But you're probably close to the millions of officers now. Would you say that? Well, I don't know about that, but I am in the... Thousands and thousands, yeah, easy, 40,000. Because you're, you're going out every day, every week in, in yeah. different part of the country. I know you were, we, we just had the joy of playing golf on Friday, yeah. and I know you had just finished up Rhode Island, and now you're heading out to Florida and yeah. to, do, to do your training programs. And so, by the way, as we're starting, if you want to take a look at, at Kevin's website, it's www.policecombat.com, and, and the cornerstone is what Kevin talked about was the lockup, arrest, and control. Um, and you've developed other courses since then, though, right? I mean, you and and uh, and so you have developed other courses since then. And the reason why is because you started you started to see things 
as you were out on the road. And oh, yeah. The, the two nationally wrecking ones is the lockup program, and the other one I developed in 0607. It's called LEADS, the Law Enforcement Active De-Escalation Strategies. We've been, you know, de-escalation, we've been teaching it for years. There's nothing new about cops right. de-escalating. As we both know, what is new is that they have to learn to quantify and identify it and write in the report. So I wrote that program years ago. And um, that has got national recognition because it was designed by law enforcement. Don't get me wrong. I love my academia world. But sometimes they, they lack the true experience of what it's like. So you can't just implement theories and give it to Blue and expect them to deploy it. Right. So, yeah, that's the other program I wrote, which is also brings me all over the country. And, uh, and of course, besides that, a variety of other specialized courses. So what does lockup stand for? Law officers, because it's designed for anybody in law enforcement. It's designed for those who arrest and control, control and restrain, or correction brothers and sisters, probation, parole, security. Yep. Anybody whose physical force is really designed to arrest and control people or even control and arrest. So that's L-O. Combat kinetics simply means the physical manipulation is designed for the law enforcement officer or security operator. Uh, U, because it's unarmed. And P means for ultimate protection. So it's for law enforcement, because law enforcement, think about it. Graham versus Connor, tendency versus Garner, policies, procedures, practices, reasonableness, necessary, with no training. Well, that's not true. Yes, it is. Oh, no. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you cannot call a four-hour block once a year training. Virtually impossible. So if you had to describe to somebody, you know, like you're, you're on the stand in an expert situation, and somebody says, tell us about what what the foundations of lockup is or tell us about what lockup is. How would you explain it to somebody that's just listening to the to this podcast? Oh, okay. That's a good question. Well, lockup again is designed for law enforcement. Um, I'll give you a quick assessment. Right. One time I'm teaching in Paris, right? And you can tell that these guys probably want to test me a little bit. So uh, they say, hey, Kevin, you must take down Peric over there. He was a world champion boxer. I'm like, oh yeah? He's about 6'1". He's about, you know, 215. I said, no problem. I'll take him down. So I said to my partner, I said, go in front of him. Give him a little shove. Tell him he sucked at the last technique. So when he does, I came right up behind him. Bam! Took him right to the ground. As soon as we took him to the ground, I went, and we run away. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and the guy stands up. I'm like, hey, man, you okay? Kevin, what did you do to me? And I looked at the class. I said, did you really expect me to stand in front of a world-class boxer? That's not how we do business. We do business if we have to use force. We want to use it strategically, tactically, and soundly. And that's why we go into higher levels of force because of the inability to control in the very onset. Ken has said it better, and that's really what I want to get out of this in the first part is that I, I, I'll tell you, from my world, I'm suffering from watching videos. Uh, and the, probably the same videos that you see in, in maybe even in, in analysis or on YouTube. And I find myself often like yelling at the computer screen. Like, is he under arrest? Put him under arrest. Like, make him under arrest. Like, well, I don't know. I don't... No, there's no requirement for you to prolong this situation. If you're going to arrest this guy, he's never going to just say, okay, I'm happy you yeah. to re-arrest me. Is that and that's that really what like we're what your program is offering assistance for? Like, yeah. let's just get it done. Let's 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 eliminate the threat or eliminate the increase of the threat. Well, you know what I want to do, and I want to tap into this at the summit, if that's all right. Part of my I have received countless calls Hold about that. Specific. Uh, can you just play the mic up a little bit closer? 
Yeah. Pull the base closer to you. Yeah. Just because it's, it's coming through fine, but it dips every now and then. Just so okay. I can fix anything afterwards, but okay. just to get it through. All right, so at the end of that question, it was just you started with, uh, that's what I want to deal with at the summit. So we, we'll right. cut you, we'll pause for a second, and give him a chance to cut, and then... That's what I want to deal with at the summit, if it's all right. One, because I've received countless, countless calls. You know, the reluctant officer, the officers who fail to engage, they don't know what to do. And at first, I'm like, all right, let me see if I can put a curriculum together for you. But then I realized, no, nah, I can't do that. First of all, what am I going to do? Uh, a program for the reluctant officer, officers who fail to engage? First of all, them coming is going to be like a punishment. Yeah. So the learning value is going to be not obsolete. Right. I said, I need to train the, uh, the instructors themselves on how to deal with that. I mean, right off the bat, you have to start off with the analysis of use of force, which you have to be trained in. Right. Uh, number two, you have to conduct an interview specifically because each and every one of these could be different. Right. One of them could be fear of the social media. Another one could be fear of physical force. Another one would be fear and loss of not knowing what to do. They're all different dynamics. And, and we must talk about the fact that it sometimes could be incapacity. Yeah. That the system just pushes them along through the academy and into the road, and they're not ready for no. that. I mean, this is the, the challenge, and in, in this is what I love your perspective, because I'm the lawyer, but you yeah. know, I mean, I look at use of force programs all the time and use of force analysis, and I really loved what we did for IACP. And you can't measure, you can't teach what you can't measure, right? right. Meaning that, that which we're going to get into next is the, these DT instructors and how significant a job they have, and they're not paying attention to what their job is. But let's let's stay on the officer yeah. for a minute. And one of the things that I look at is, you know, times have changed. Yeah. You know, um, you twenty five years ago, thirty years ago, when you and I were on the job, we were more of a physical application. We had military training. We were more. Uh, we we had we had gotten in fights in yeah, high school. <laughs> yeah, like, you you were never you were being in a fight was not like today. You didn't have to worry about somebody pulling a weapon on you. You were just you got mad at your buddy. You you went out back and you scuffed it up and you got in a fight. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, what scares me is I watch these kids in training who have never been in a fight. That's correct. The first time being in a fight can't be on the road. No. And here lies the problem. As we know, do you realize even high schools now will not use red ink to correct papers because it's too aggressive? Now, academies want you to stop yelling at people because you want to go to what they call what a professional academy. Yeah, more they, of a you have to have a balance of both. Right. Officers need discipline. They need to understand that. They need someone yelling and screaming into their faces. Why? Because what's going to happen? Officers are expected to have a thick skin. Now, first of all, when you have somebody out there yelling and screaming, the natural human response to anger is anger. It's the academy, even with the foundation of yelling and screaming, is designed to train their brain how to what? Not take it personal, how to maintain control, how to be able to listen to the orders and instruction without retaliating emotionally. So they have to learn it somewhere. So not only that, with the physical skills training, um, I don't want to... Most of the physical skills training is not measured for proficiency afterwards. Right. We're just teaching what they think should be taught. And, and that's what we had talked about in our IACP class. Mm -hmm. But let's start with the, I like the, this concept first because, you know, a lot of people ask my opinion, you know, in, in, on training academies and the softer, kinder, gentler. Um, and it's interesting because don't you notice that why are we worried about a, the, the pendulum is, it's not even a pendulum. The circle is continuing. 
So we have an officer who has no discipline in their life. And now they want to take the discipline away from the academy. He's but you, you hit a great point, which is when you're in the middle of getting yelled at and screamed at, your emotion takes over. Mm-hmm. And if the academy doesn't teach or, or teach them how to accept that emotion and address that emotion, then they'll go into like a physiological lockdown. Yeah. Right? And, and so, or an over-excessive one. Right. And, and their reaction is not going to be... You're not going to be in general relationship to what they're dealing with. Right. All right. So let's, let's switch gears because your guru level is, is on the instructor. And I'm sure we have a lot of instructors out there that are trying. And I give a ton of credit to the men and women that go out there every day and roll on the mats and, yeah. and try and give, uh, give the correct guidance along the way. So let's, let's start with them. To your instructors out there, you're you're the ones that have to take my legal analysis Mm -hmm. and convey it to an application form. You know, when you say the tires hit the road, what advice would you give to an instructor who's just starting to get their their feel and their way on being an instructor and have been assigned to do TT? Oh, that's, uh, well, as you know, they are bread and butter and a good DT instructor is, is a diamond. And uh, what I recommend is, first of all, do not just narrow your scope of research to the physical tactics and application of what you're teaching. Force, use of force is analyzed, obviously, in a 300 degrees, not just, oh, let me show you how to do this. No. Not only do you not to show them how to do that, what's the reasonable foreseeable outcome of that? And, uh, and measure the, you can't manage what you don't measure. Um, Quite often, we have guys and gals trying to just create, I think we should teach this. I said, it's just not a matter. I said, if you don't think a technique makes a difference, have you not noticed the trial in Minneapolis? Techniques make a significant difference. So you need to be able to research and have a better knowledge base. Don't just go to a five-day instructor program and come back and teach because only law enforcement makes instructors in five days. Yeah, Yeah, that is true. In I mean, the, military, you go to instructor school for months and months and, yeah. and must train it over and over again before they even give you to the, to, the, to the new private to be able to teach it to. If I had my way, I'd be teaching a five-day basic learners, and then you come back and teach the five-day instructor program. But if I did that, no one would ever send it to, the, to my courses. Because you still have to you know, you know, feed the needs of what the chiefs do and what they want. And I don't want to say anything derogatory, but many times it's a boxing checkoff. And I had a chief. Oh, he's trained. Check. Yeah. Um, and even my chiefs, I'll say, chiefs, I need you to start to think like you're the owner of a professional athletic team. You need to know the plays of which they're doing. You need to know their error ratios. You need to know their success ratios. You know, um, for example, I go to New Mexico not too long ago, and I have uh, a fantastic DT instructor say, oh, we do really good here at Use of Force. I'm like, oh, you do, huh? <laughs> I said, well, that's glad to hear it. I said, now, what is your position here? Well, I'm the lead DT instructor. I said, how long have you maintained that position? Oh, seven years. I said, you must be very proficient in what you do, correct? Yes, I am. Thank you. So I picked his manual up. I opened up the book. I said, one technique. What's the average rate of effectiveness of that technique right there? Of course, he looked at me. Blank stare. I said, all right, let me go to another one. Do you teach this a lot? All, every class. I said, what's the average rate of effectiveness? What's the average rate of ineffectiveness? And what are you meaning by average rate of effectiveness? How many times has anybody done it on the street effectively without hurting somebody? Right. How many and, times and have they done it with hurting somebody? And how would a department measure that? Easy. 
They have to develop a quantifiable measure in use of force forms, which is not very difficult. Right. I said, instead of just doing physical force or, or to say, and checking off that, that gives you no material on what to understand. Right. Say, for example, we take somebody down and all of a sudden he kicks off the wall at the same time, bang, and now his head hits this corner and splits him wide open. So now in the, lit the litigation world, they can say, you purposely, it was your action that created this. It's decisive force. You, you took him first. You want to be able to at least say, I've used that technique on seven occasions with no injuries. This injury occurred because the subject kicked off the wall at the last minute. That was unintended consequence. Boom. But here's my evidence of using it successfully in the past without injuring people. And do you know any departments? I'm sure you do. What Departments that do this really well in the no. country? No. 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 Let me say that again. How about new? <laughs> was that new? And there's a freaking new. I mean, it's not too difficult. We got to. Well, I guess that now, I mean, the interesting part, which you and I have had conversation on, is that so you know I require them to have a use of force report form. It's pretty detailed, it yeah. articulate areas, and it, but it doesn't get into the detail of, you know, check the box of what moves you used. And is that what you're looking for? The next stage of that? Like. Yeah. Um, give me give me one of your give me the name of one of your uh, things I, one of your moves I do not want to be a part of. All right, say a rear century takedown. Rear century takedown. Like now, that's a maneuver that you could use as a solo officer as a team. And what makes it so successful? It's uh, it's a coordinated you know uh, a maneuver. And yep. it's you know one some once one time a guy goes, well, why did you say yours is so good? I said I never said mine was good. I said, I just have significant amount of quantifiable evidence that it's worked for the average officer. Do you? Well, no. I said, that's all. I said, I can't base it on what I think. I can only base it about the material that the officers are using on the street. Mm -hmm. I said, especially now, I said, to show you the Minneapolis invest, you know, case, look at, they will take every technique you use, lesson plan's going to come up. They'll Break just, it down and yeah. separate them and everything. So how would you... In a reportable mechanism, like a document or a computer iPro, any type of, so how, would you put that? Would you put that technique yes. in as a checkbox, and then ask them whether they used it and whether it was successful? Correct. So, say for example, we have a category called takedowns. You don't want to teach more than two or three takedowns. Otherwise, first of all, they're not going to remember it, right? So, say we have four takedowns. Say three takedowns. You want to write the one, two, three. So you have takedowns. You click it. It gives you another drop-off. You hit one click, effective, boom. Therefore, at the end of six months, or if you have a case, you can query the data to determine how many times. Otherwise, why are you training this every year if you don't take the time to measure does it work or not? Well, I laugh when you said no, because I, I can't even get them to, to get everybody to have a consistent reporting mechanism, let alone go to the next level and report the, the measurable. Yeah, it's not, you can get a, one of these brilliant college kids to develop a mechanism for you. You can take the form that you have, and all they have to do is develop some additional, here's another example of that. We know that the, the big thing right now, force mitigation, de-escalation, you know. First I of, love words. Yeah. Words. I said, here's another thing. Do you have any evidence that you de-escalate? Oh, uh, no. I said, you know where I would start off? I said, I would start off with your CAD entry. First of all, how often do you think officers might go to a call all right, just yelling and screaming back and forth. Okay, folks, you're a little bit loud. Everything cool now? Yeah, sorry, officer. We just got a little loud and disorderly. But everybody's happy now. Okay, no problem. How about you folks? Are you all sound happy? Yeah, okay. We want a cat entry. So they said, okay, uh, unit five, I'm 10-8. I'm That's going to be a code 32. Conflict resolved, no use of force, no, uh, no arrest. Done. You know what the call was. Yes. You know what the call resulted in. 
So now, say, for example, again, you have a situation that officers have to go right in. There's no time for de-escalation because it's an imminent threat. You want to be able to defend yourself. You know, this is perfect example how this department just moves right in. No mitigation, no de-escalation. They just took them, throw them to the ground. Officer, aren't you trained to de-escalate? Um, could you pull up the CAD entry? We have de-escalated and resolved conflicts on 752 occasions this year alone. Think about That's it. That's great data. Yes. Great data. And, and, and you know, mm -hmm. what I look, what I, the reason why is, you know, it's time to take back the narrative a little bit. Yeah. But you can't take that back to narrative unless you have data. Correct. Uh, so when I asked you to come on the show and I asked you, uh, you know, to you know, give a philosophy thought process or a quote that you use, you sent me a quote that said, law enforcement needs to do a, a paradigm shift, change the way we do business. What do you mean by that? All right. Think about it. The biggest controversial issues that we have dealt with in the last 10 years have been what? Use of force. Right. Either Ferguson or Mr. Garner case in New York, uh, Minneapolis, the majority of them have all been proficiency in use of force. Have we changed one thing? No. But let me give you an idea. I started it, I'll tell you guys, 1980. Don't flip over in the chair. Yeah, 1980. And we were doing the same silly ass four hours a year DT programs then than we are doing now. Yeah. Nothing has changed. Yeah. And we expect things that you think officers are going to be more proficient. Now, say, for example, if, say, for New York, and I love my guys and gals in there, but I could almost guarantee you if I go to New York and I would take a look at all the use of force reports, I'd almost guarantee you that 75% involve multiple officers trying to control the subject. And then I can almost province, and very rarely do I find a lesson plan pertaining to multiple officer subject control. And, and do you think that executives are properly evaluating <laughs> training based on need? I mean, that's one of the things that I see. I ask training officers all the time. They call me and say, we need this. We need this. Yeah. We need that. And I say, why? Yeah. Well, because somebody told us we did. Well, what, you know, what about the needs of the department? What about the, what type of use of force incidents are your officers responding to? What do your IA complaints look like? What do your discipline complaints look like? What do your, what do your workman's comp claims look like? What are your injuries the officers are, are getting? There's a lot of data sets out there that could say, hey, you know, just like if I got, you know, if, if, if Kevin gets, you know, four or five discourteous comment, discourteous complaints, well, maybe we need to send you to a, a interpersonal communication skills. How many officers are being sent for additional training like with you when they are injured or that they they had to escalate force quickly because of because of this issue? Well, that's true. You get a lot of them coming for that uh, non-disciplinary supplemental training type of thing. In but that's usually a one in, in situation. Normally, like I said, they don't have the data to be able to say, Chief, we need additional training because of this. But if you imagine going to the chief, there's not a chief around that I would ever think would ever deny. Sir, ma'am, with all respect, the training we have provided in this format has revealed absolutely no levels of success. Just give me eight hours a year. Same budget, but instead of just once a year, well, it's eight hours. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Nope. <laughs> now you're down to lunch. Now you're seven hours. Then you have breaks, no one cops breaks, and you're down to six hours. Right. And then when the six hours, they're trying to put handcuffing, taser, OC spray, baton, and arrest control. So you get somebody like you in there say, really, could you tell me how many actual repetitions you do if you right. put all that in one training block? Right. I how say, many times did you apply the handcuffs? How many times yeah. did you swing the stick? Did you make any decisions? Correct. Or did you, was it just technique-based? Right? Those are the questions I'm going to ask in the, in the deposition. Yeah. 
And I, you know, the, if you go to the chief and say, sir, ma'am, um, no levels of efficiency. Uh, you think they're saying, well, just keep trying. They're, you just technically put the bosses on notice anyway. So now you have to take steps, say, chief, just give me a four uh, two-hour blocks. Two-hour blocks, that's it. They come in, we focus on, say, a multiple officer control, two hours, minimize injuries to anybody because you don't have to worry about fatigue level. Mm -hmm. You go over, okay, guys, next two months later, we realize now that a significant amount of use of force has occurred during a takedown. So let's work on the takedowns in that particular ration. Okay, now two week, two months later, you review A, B, and add another one, C. Mm -hmm. So all training is validated on the, the um, deployment, leaving, and then returning. You know, continuous repetition, not a four-hour block, and that's what I'm talking about. We have not changed the way to business. And then, you know, I, and I hate that word change, but I do want progression, and we're not getting that at all. No. So I have a couple of questions that I want to get your, just as I always wrap up in these questions, I like to get your, give advice to certain levels of department. But the first question, uh, and this is going to be the hard one, which is, you know, the difference in law enforcement has been that we are now um, have an increased level of female officers mm -hmm. and they're great and they're, they're perfect for the job and they help the image of the job, but they also come in sometimes at a disadvantage and that's height and size. Correct. Um, and, and I'm worried about their, you know, like you said before that, yeah, I'm a six foot three, 210 pound guy, mm -hmm. but that five foot two female is still getting signed, sent to the same call. All right. And, and how are you, how are you addressing the mindset of individuals? And it could be smaller size males too in the class, but yeah. individuals who, you know, it's not the old school anymore. It's not the military. We had to be over six feet to be right. an MP, right? Like, I mean, state police where you had to be tall. It's not that anymore. What about capacity? Well, first of all, make no mistake about it. Size makes a difference. The vehicle with the most lug nut will always win. That's all there is to it. You know, and the thing, same thing with size. You, you know, we have a, a specialized course. It's called Overcoming Size Differences for Female Enforcers. More how to use stalling techniques, all right, how to use deception, all right, how to use tactics when the subject is not necessarily ready because you can't go knuckle to knuckle with somebody twice your size. You're not going right. to work. Right. <clears throat> I don't care if you use your taser. But we also implement integration of different weapon systems. So it's not just a matter of looking and use your baton, use your taser. It's strategic. Uh, how to understand the psychomotor physiological response when all of a sudden somebody's choking you. All right, it's, and how to, how to not immediately try to respond, but how to know when to secure the arm, hold the arm in tight, and then, then when to respond. So it's a good, good program because you are not going to be able to respond to anything with these high-intensity events without training to that level. It's just that's the way it is. And that's why I wanted to highlight that because I think yeah. that's a phenomenal course, and nobody's paying attention to that. You know, the, the, nobody issues you Superman outfits no. when you get out of the academy. And no one checks your proficiency as to can you handle, you know, like you said, you're not in a weight class. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you're, you, you don't get that. Um, all right. So I always like to ask on uh, questions of, of to give advice. So you got a brand new officer who's just starting out on the job. And I like to ask it at three levels, officer, supervisor, police executive, so that you can start your brain thinking. Gotcha. Uh, you got an officer who's just started on the job. You know, really un, not probably very feeling very confident or comfortable yeah. based on what's going on. And then you, I, we can only imagine what's happening inside departments. Morale's probably low. Oh, yeah. 
Not yeah. a lot of enforcement action going on. Not just they're just like doing time right now. What advice would you give a younger officer just starting out with your years of experience? Um, invest in your career. Don't just you know if the PD doesn't send me to training, I'm not going. Well, then that's where you'll stay. So you have to invest in your own career. You know how many times I paid for my own courses? Yeah. You know, I took vacation time, paid for my own courses, trained off duty all the time as much as I possibly can, researched the material as much as I can. I became a student of my profession. Don't expect the, the, the police department as good as they do. Don't expect them to provide you the level of training that you need to be able to be proficient. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Not that they don't mean to. They try to, but it's just... You know, one time I was on CNN, and, and they kept using the term highly trained. You know, lieutenant officers are highly trained. You know, lieutenant officers are highly trained. I said, you know, that's the third time you said that. I said, what? Highly trained. What do you mean? I said, no, what do you mean? If you use that term within the first 10 minutes, I assume you're trying to assume that they're incompetent, right? Because you call them highly trained. I said, what would you call a highly trained officer? And, of course, now it's of the rules. It's not my first parade, as you know. Yes. So I said, I'll tell you what. If I got a young guy or gal, and they go to high school as a freshman, as a wrestler, and they make the team, and they didn't come back as a sophomore, and they make the team, and they come back as a junior and make the team and a a senior and make the team, they wrestle all four years, and now they graduate high school. I said, how long will it take the average officer to catch up to the amount of physical control training that 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 high school kid has? Well, I don't know. I said, never. I said, so we don't even have the equivalent of a high school wrestler in a 25-year career. I said, so, yes, we need to do a paradigm shift. Police departments, you need to change. Even if you just do four two-hour blocks, at least you're focusing 10 times better than what we're doing. The other thing, a young guy or gal, invest in your, this is your livelihood. I've had deadly force encounters. I have had them. And what really made me proficient was all the training I put into it. Um, And that's what you got to do. Stop waiting for other people to train you. Correct you. Mm-hmm. All right, so you know my, my favorite level is supervisors because mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't often understand how important they are to the success of the department. First-line supervisors. And, 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 and for you, I think that's where you're probably your best evaluators come from, right? Because they're, they're looking at what their officers are doing on the street or they should be looking at what yeah. their officers. So as a supervisor, if you're... If you're uh, if you're responsible for supervising a group of people, what are what's your advice to them to 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 evaluate or to identify? What do you think is most important in your realm at the duties of a first line supervisor? Can I jump back almost one layer down? Sure. Let's start out with the FTOs. You know, I have uh, new courses I've been putting out. It's called Use the Force Coaching and Leads for the FTO. Oh, interesting. The greatest. Why way- did you choose to start with the FTO? Because the greatest way to learn is on the job while doing it. Right. So think about it. With the FTOs, they can say, okay, there's a guy right now. What do we do? Let's go up to him. Oh, hold on for a second. You know, what's your thoughts on it? This guy's just committed a violent assault. What's your thoughts on it? We want that era to say, oh, I don't know. What do you, keep distance? Exactly. Why should we keep distance? Mitigate force. Yeah. What else should we do? Well, where should we stand? Between me and the coffee table? Why? Because it gives me time to get, yes. Think about it. Our FTOs, which are our primary trainers, normally get no more training than the recruit that right. they're training. They have more experience, but no more training. That's scenario-based training and yes. effectiveness of it. So that's right there on the job, and that's when they can learn. Have you, have you found that to be successful? Yes. Yeah, because they, they really are. And then let's go up to the supervisors, all right? Because the supervisors in command, 
they need to continue to come to your, your the summit. They need to keep coming to that because they are the one making assessments on use of force and they have no more training. Right. You know, supervisors, the same thing. Uh, our, our leadership classes that are out there, our use of force analysis uh, coaching is out there. You need to invest in yourself, too, because think about in law enforcement, you're a patrol officer and now you're a leader in what? Maybe they could send you to a five day program if that. Yeah. So now then you go make a lieutenant and then they send you to maybe a five day program if that. So now we are technically in high levels of supervision and command with not a lot of additional training. Right. Now, let's go to the command level, too, as well as the True. supervisors. Say, um, could you tell me, Sergeant, why, why you approved this particular report? Why did you find it justified within policy? Do you have any ideas on how to break down and really delineate or articulate why you thought it was justified within policy? Why is the officer's action not justified? Whatever. Well, I would have. I said that has no bearing in any use of force analysis. Right. You would have. That's not your perception. Yeah. It's it's not. We don't care what you, you would do. That is their articulation, the governmental interest, the articulation. And as you teach them, like in, in your class, you teach them like you cannot determine what's objectively reasonable. That is not your quality to do. That's a judge and jury. Am I correct on that? Right. It's not. So you oh. can find maybe justified within policy. The other one of the executives um, God love them, but they have no training in use of force analysis. And I love to present it to them this way. Executives, I know you're very busy, and I know everything that's going on. But I, um, And you have decided that my, my client, your client, or the officer is, um, was excessive, not justified. Correct? Well, yes. So I find it interesting. You know, before I get into that, could you tell me how much training I would want or need if I wanted a dog? I always love police dogs. <laughs> oh, that's six months of training right there. Just to have the basic canine training, then you another two months for bomb recognition, maybe another two months for drug recognition. Yep. Wow, way too much, too much training. You know what? I'm an engineer by heart. I always love when these guys do action reconstructionists. Could you tell me how much training would require? Well, first you need at least a basic understanding of accident investigation. That's a five-day. Then you have to have the other five-day, which yep. is in advance. Then you have to have pedestrian trucks, then motorcycles, then 18-wheelers, then ATVs. Never mind all this training. Could you tell us and the members of the jury your extensive training on use of force analysis? Crickets. Well, my experience. I didn't ask you one thing about experience. Right. You told me if I wanted a puppy, I need six months. But I said, now you are making decisions on officers' critical decision-making within milliseconds, and you have no training at all. That's, that's why I, say, I do that to protect you. If you are an executive now, or if you have anything to do, since we're talking about use of force, I mean, yep. I think that's where I'll stay is that you have to at least continue to update yourself as well. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's where it becomes the problem. One, you you one, never, stop, lear never no, stop learning. Never. Well, my final question to you is this. And since you have, like me, um, I really enjoy my finger on the pulse of law enforcement. And the best part, as you know, is going into the classroom every week. You know, the, the no matter how grinding it becomes because it's a new place and it's the same thing, but it's always what 30 40 50 new fresh law enforcement professionals that we love to interact with yeah. but as you sit here today what does the future of law enforcement look like to you i believe in pendulums and i do the pendulum's going to come back because we're already seeing such some huge violence in high crime areas and i think my assessment is very much like the law enforcement is being treated like the vietnam soldiers coming back 
identical. If we look at history, right? Yeah. I mean, the media destroyed them, the protests of the 60s, all right, baby killers, all false information, false narratives. Plus, we, we won those military engagements. We lost it because of what? The media and the politicians. And that's where you're going to see this pendulum, I think, come back. There's, there's split. Somebody said, my, my child wants to get involved in law enforcement. Half my brain says, stay the hell out. The other half says, please, please come in. Yeah. Because I mean, we need I, I agree them with you on more that. than ever. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, do, I do agree with that. And I do agree with the aspects of, of and, and, and my, I'm always challenged with our, our challenges to explain the need of force to the community. Mm-hmm. You know, there are probably plenty of people out there that would like us to not have any weapons right. on our belt. And it just that's just not the job. It's, their lives are valuable too. Well, right? I saw Willy Wonka too. That was pretty. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's their that's their mentality. Say, what world are you living in? You know that you would think. Yeah, of course, we don't want violence. Especially since forty-seven percent of all the guns in the country, all the guns in the world, are in this country. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's the challenge we're faced with. Mm-hmm. Well, Kevin. I value your friendship. I value your time. I think you're you're the master <laughs> and completely. Um, I thank you for the opportunity and I thank you for taking the time to to you know to, to give our listeners some guidance and some direction. I encourage them to look you up www.policecombat.com and I thank you. And I'll end as I always do. Protect those who need your protection. Help those who need your help. And most importantly, keep yourself and others safe. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bill.